The sermon text reading this morning is from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Christian. Good morning again, church. My name is Mike. I'm on staff here for the last 10 years now as pastor of spiritual formation. And I lead a lot of our DNA efforts uh, and community groups and things like that and do a lot of personal counseling and things as well. Um, I get to bring the word about once a quarter now. And so got that nervousness back in me more so when I get out of practice, if I'm honest. Um, But no, a few weeks ago, I got I I was able to uh, lead a a retreat for a church and my old um, campus outreach boss from back in the day was it was his church. And he asked me to come and a lot of the emotional health stuff I've been working on and learning from different places just to lead their their church through a retreat called Revive. So I went and did that did a three-day, four-talk kind of thing, and it was really amazing to see him and be with his family. But we were just reminiscing and thinking about life, and I I remembered the first time, right after I became a Christian, he and my wife led me to Jesus. She wasn't my wife then. But, yeah, and I remember him coming to the Citadel campus where I was in college, and he pulled out a legal pad, and he opened his Bible to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And if you don't know it, it says, therefore, um, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, which is Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endures the cross and despised the shame, despising the shame, despising the shame endured the cross. And then sat sat down at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. You can see it's still in me. Right, Because what discipleship became was him beginning to teach me the word and walk with me and meet with me. But that day he pulls his legal pen out and he says this, legal pad, and he writes down, he says, okay, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. So there are things that maybe are good, but maybe not profitable for you. They're getting in the way of you fixing your eyes on Jesus. But then there's outright sin. There are things that you're doing that are hindering, quenching the spirit. Let's, so let's, let's write those down. What are those? And he began to help me wrestle with what those were for my life and see those, right? Well, at the retreat, afterwards, two days later, he sends me an email longer than my leg. What do you think it said? He went through every talk, and he took notes, 
And he said, Mike, this was amazing. This was amazing. I love this. Here are some things that were unclear. These were things I don't think were helpful and even got in your way. And what do you think about this? Every single talk he went through and he evaluated and he said, hey, I'd love to join you in this. I know, he said this, I know in seminary you worked for a man that was harsh. Every time I preached with this man, he was terrible towards me. Right? He was harsh. And so my voice speaking in front of people, my body still feels it sometimes. Rupert knows that. And he challenged my voice. He invited my voice. Friends, that's discipleship. I don't, I don't see him much anymore. But do you see how committed he is to pouring into my life and for me to continue to see Jesus and to tell others about him? To this day, he still does that. Now, we've been in the book of Mark. And Mark, as, as Scott's been saying, it's the story of Jesus. We've been trying to see him more and more and learn what it means to follow him. And because of a little snafu that happened, I don't know if you noticed, but we've been in chapter 11. Today we go back to chapter 10. So we, poor Bartimaeus got skipped, and as I told everybody earlier, he was a little mad. So we had to go back to him. But it just you know, it worked out that we needed to go back. And it's important that we do, I think. And I think it's for such a time as this, because... Mark is ending an entire section on discipleship. So the, Mark's emphasis on the disciples knowing Jesus, who he is, it starts at the end of chapter 8. And guess what it starts with? The healing of a blind man. And it ends with chapter 10. And guess what it ends with? The healing of a blind man. And you're like, whoa, what is, what's happened? Why does he bookend this entire teaching around what it means to know Jesus and follow him with healing blindness. Well, I hope you leaned in at Isaiah 35, our Old Testament reading, because this, these are the fulfillments, right? This is the fulfillment of those prophecies that when, when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, he will, the blind will see that that will be an indicator that he is here, the blind seeing, right? And so the, all through this, this section on discipleship, we have Mark chapter 8 with Jesus and Peter, that encounter. You are the Messiah, right? And so the healing of the blind man, and now we see Peter begin to see, right? And then from there, Jesus is, begins to predict, I must go to the cross. My, my path to glory will be through suffering. No, no, no way. Get behind me, Satan. Remember the passage? Right, I'm just kind of reminding you of where, we're, where we've gone. And then chapter 9, we see his transfiguration. The glory where, where he, he, he is just transfigured, right? I mean, I don't even know how to say it any different. But we see his glory in a special way. There's something special about Jesus. Look at him. See that he is the Messiah. And then all these questions. Who is this man? Who is he, right? And so these bookends... They tell us this, that discipleship is about seeing who Jesus is and then learning what does that mean for my life. And blindness shows us the way blindness is healed is what needs to happen spiritually for us. That we are prone to not see, right? And that these disciples who have been walking with Jesus for three years, ironically, they don't see. And ironically, the two blind guys, they see, right? The ones who are blind see. And so what, what are we to learn to, from that? How are we to, you know, what are we to take from Bartimaeus? And if, if you spend any amount of time counseling with me, you know this passage probably. I use it all the time. 
I think it's one of the most important questions Jesus asks in Scripture for our discipleship. And that's what I kind of want to move to. So we're going to go through the story just for a few minutes. We're going to talk about the story, just give some context to it. And you can walk on the slides through the story with me if you want to. And then, then we're going to talk about a few aspects of what discipleship means because, as the announcement said, we are starting our DNA groups back up. Disciple, nurture, action, accountability is kind of what the A stands for. That's what DNA means. And what we're saying that DNA, we call it DNA groups because they are the, the lifeblood. They're what make us who we are as a body. That Sunday is great, but we got to be in each other's lives. Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, go out and meet on Sunday. He says, go out and make disciples. Right? And so what, what does that mean? What does it mean to follow him and to be his disciple? And what does that look like for us? And then what does it look like for you? That's kind of where we're going in our passage. So our story starts, and Scott already described this, but I want to tell you anyway. We're in Jericho, right? So the first healing of the blind man was in Bethsaida, and now we're in Jericho. And Jericho is, you know the song, right? Joshua won the battle. Yes, that Jericho, right? So Jericho is what Joshua conquers before he gets to the promised land, before he takes the right of the Palestinian area for what the promised land would be for the Jews. And so here we are. We're, We're 18 miles from Jerusalem, right? There's a crowd on the way for Passover to Jerusalem. So getting the picture. And this crowd is learning, oh my gosh, there is this Jesus. Who is this man? He is, he is doing all these amazing miracles. So the crowd is, it's really, it's in an uproar. There's a buzz going on, right? And so on the way, we find Bartimaeus. He's introduced to us. And there's a lot of interesting things about him. But Bartimaeus is a blind beggar, right? And no doubt you know what he's doing. He's sitting by the road. And people on the way, remember, they used to sing songs of ascent, psalms of ascent. There's an entire genre in the psalms. So they're, they're meditating, thinking, praying about who is God, what he has done, the redemption story. And a blind beggar, it's very, it's very advantageous to get right beside those people with that posture of heart and, and put his cloak on his waist and then set it out in front of him because that is where people would go by and they would throw alms, Right? They would be generous, be gracious to him, right? So he's sitting on the side. He's an outsider, though. He's not participating in the group going. He's staying here. Just an image to slow down with as we go. When he hears, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Now he begins to scream. He begins to to just cry out, right? And they tell him, shut up. And, And listen, our Greek word means they threaten him. Like... You know, not that he would see that, but, you know, they're like, shut up or we're going we're gonna to give you one, right? Yeah. And, and he, what does he do? He screams louder. He screams louder. Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy. Be quiet. Have mercy. Louder and louder he goes, right? Jesus hears his cry. In the midst of all this chaos and crowd, Jesus hears him. What? What? What is that? Something's different. Something's. Di- he hears it, and he responds, well, "Who is that?" And he says, "Bring him to me." So, unlike the crowds, Jesus doesn't silence him. He calls him. 
And I love the image we get here. Right? It says that he throws off his cloak. Right? He jumps up and he takes off running. I don't know about you, but that, that does something to my mind. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do, what, where do you, how do you know where to go? You know, like, but he's just, there's this eagerness, this bubbling up out of him. And with expectation, he runs to, hey, no, over here. Oh, no, right here, right here. Yeah, here he is, right? He knows to go. Here is Jesus. And he gets in front of him. The son of David, as he calls him. If you don't know, that's 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 110. It says that the one who would come, he will be in the lineage of David. In our next chapter, Scott's probably going to preach on I don't think I'm doing it. But Jesus asked the scribes a question. How, wait, how can he be the son of David and the Lord of David, which is what Psalm 110 shows? How, how can he be both? And they, oh, I don't, they don't get it. He's frustrated with them that they don't get it. I think cursism, if I, I don't remember exactly, but it's in, it's in Mark 12. We'll get to it in a few weeks, so we'll, we will learn. But So this son of David has messianic implications, meaning the one that they're expecting, the one who will come one day and, and he will march into Jerusalem and change everything. And they're thinking, no, not of a God, but just... A normal person, a, a person like me and you, but it's a king, and he's got flesh, and he's going to go in, and he's going he's gonna to save us. They don't realize the fullness of it, right? But this blind man recognizes something about Jesus of Nazareth and the Messiah, and he's the only one that seems to be getting it. So again, just look, we're just slowing down with the story to, to, to note these things. Again, he gets up, he runs over, and Jesus asks him this stunning question. What do you want me to do for you? Aren't you a little like, you know, like, you know, the dog head tilt? Or you, like, are you the only idiot out here, Jesus? It's clear what this man wants. He wants to see. And so obviously Jesus knows that, right? So why would he ask that question? Right? Why would he ask it? And so we're going to come back to that in a second. But Jesus, the man, the, the man says, I want to see. I want to regain, which means he had sight and he lost sight, which I feel like would be so much harder to have something then taken away from you. Uh, so hard. And then he heals him and he says, I love, he says, go your way. He doesn't do that. He follows him. So there's our story, right? What are we, what are we supposed to learn here? Every commentary I read said, that this is Mark's attempt to give us one of the best pictures of what it means to be a disciple. So not James, not John, not Peter, not all these guys that have been walking with him for three years. No, this man is a picture of what it means to be a disciple. And so I love, again, that we're starting our DNA groups because what does it mean? What does it mean to follow him? What, is it, what does it mean to see him and follow him? How do, we, how do our lives respond to that? And so, again... Let's jump into what that would look like. Let's, we're going to end our sermon with these few points about what discipleship looks like. The first thing is this. We recognize Jesus. It's simple, right? It's not simple. Three years they're walking with him. They don't get it. This man in this moment gets it. He sees this is Jesus of Nazareth, who is the son of David. He's the one we've all been waiting for. And I'm not on my way there, but I see it. So recognizing Jesus. And so what would that mean for us? 
You know this word faith? Stop and think about how often you think about faith. Just in your everyday life. How we exercise faith. You know, for us, I, I think it means, as, you know, for those of you who believe in Jesus, the Christians here this morning, right? I assume that maybe there aren't, and I, and I hope that if you're here, that you'll, you'll, you'll hang in there with us and you'll investigate with us what it means to have faith. But for us who believe on him, what does it mean for us to recognize Jesus, to exercise faith, right? I love that, I love that our passage says he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's a person. Do you know that? He has flesh. The God left heaven and came here. That is absurd. Just, I mean, just the, the fact to fathom that we believe that a God somewhere out there came here and, and, and looked like us, and yet he was God. Think about the absurdity of that teaching, that we believe as Christians. Faith. Faith is to recognize in him everything we've been longing for. That thing that we want healed, that thing that we need, that we feel that we need to move forward, all of it, no matter what it is, is to be recognized in the person of Jesus. And and what I don't want, I want to slow down there because for many of us, he's a doctrine. It's a verse we learned. It was a Sunday school lesson. And that nice little picture of Jesus. I take my kids to school at the speech school and there's a church right before the speech school. And they they have this like image of Jesus. It's like almost like clip art. And it is the most hysterical picture of Jesus I think I've seen in our city. It looks nothing like he would actually look. It's the whitest dude ever. And it's, it's just, but that's our Jesus, right? He's just, it's a doctrine. We believe he died on the cross. Guys, he's a person. And, and he, he goes to a cross. He rises from the dead. And did you know that right now he sits at the right hand of God the Father? And he has a body. I don't know how, but he has a body like me and you. And one day he'll return. And that relationship with him looks like encounter. It looks like what we're doing right now. It's personal. It's not out there. It's not something to learn. It's something to relate. It's a person. It's a relationship. Do you recognize him? Do you see him daily? Do we have faith, eyes to be able to see? Or are we blind? And we don't recognize him in our lives. So that's the first one. There's It's faith. It's, 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 it's faith, but it's also it's encounter, which now, what, is, what does he do? He gets up and he enters the crowd. He's not on the sidelines anymore. He's now in the community of where this thing's going. And so, again, faith, we're recognizing who he is, but now we're also participating in what it means to follow Jesus. We're not sitting on the sidelines, right? It's not just staying there doing nothing. We go to church and then I don't think about it for the next six days. No, it's participation now, right? It's entering in. I love it. Uh, the, the one who saves, heals all of our questions, all of our needs, it's a person. And he calls us over. Do we have eyes to see him? Do you have eyes to see him right now, that faith? And so in recognizing him, that's the first one, we begin to locate ourselves. We, we recognize who we are now. Right? So we learn him and we begin to learn about ourselves. And what, is, what does he know? He has great needs. He longs to see. He's been sitting here for a long time. He is at the mercy of anyone who will throw him something. Right? He, he, he sees his need for Jesus. He recognizes it. As a disciple of Jesus, we must recognize our need. Right? 
And I, I love that. I brought my Bible up here. I know we usually don't have them up here. That's a cool Bible, too, isn't it? I mean, it's a really amazing one. But I wanted to show you. This is chapter 10. It starts right here, here at the bottom, and goes this way. I want to show you for a second everything as we walk through this that Mark's doing. This is one of the most brilliant chapters in all of the Bible, according to me, this week. <laughs> okay? I mean, seriously, what, what have we already looked at in chapter 10? Man runs up to Jesus. Remember him? He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. He runs up to Jesus, falls on his face. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Don't call me good. Right? Remember Jesus says, and he takes him through it. Yeah? That man, with all of his richness, all of those different things that he had, that he thought was such a blessing, brings that to Jesus, comes before him. One thing you lack. Listen to what the word says. It says he left. Remember, he turned and left. He was disheartened. The, the, the word literally means he's torn in two. He's torn in two. He, he, his heart is divided. It's, it's like, a, a, let's see, it's a mixture of anger and displeasure that he's feeling as he walks away, even though Jesus looks at him and loves him. Yeah? Now we have the blind man. Right? You, you, remember, the disciples think, no way, he can't get in heaven? How can I? And then the blind guy, hey, shut up. I mean, that's how we treat him, right? This man comes in and he follows Jesus. You know, the people that come to my office, and it, you know, and I need someone outside of my office to help me in the same way, but the people that come to my office, one of my favorite things to help us wrestle with is, that whatever circumstance that you want to talk about, it's usually a gift. You see, the, the wealth, the, the, the fact that he's a ruler, he's got his youth, all of that, there was something about it that got in the way of his heart recognizing Jesus and recognizing his need. So when Jesus confronts it, he can't see, He's blind, guys. He can't see it. And so he goes, he misses out on all that Jesus has for him in looking at him and loving him. The blind guy, the one cursed, the one who, who sinned that he's blind. You know, that was the other guy. But the, that guy, if I could only see, right? Like, his, his blindness is a gift. And here's what I want to say. What, what do we mean it's a gift, right? Like, there, there is humility in this man that is, it has a, he has a heart now that's open and receptive to what he's hearing. There's an openness. There is a clarity that he can have because as he hears about Jesus, there's not anything in the way now, right? There's need there. But, but I got to say two things that are really important here. You know, just like me, I've met with people who suffer that are hard, that are mean, and they're angry about this. Suffering doesn't necessarily make you humble. You know that. It won't make you humble. It's, it's, not, it's not simply that. But there is something in his blindness, something that as the Holy Spirit's moving in this man, Mark 4 that we talked about a while ago, it says that the seed, Jesus, grows in a special kind of soil. And what is that soil? It's humility, right? 
and in the blindness, his circumstances, where he is, it, it, it was in such a way that he's open to receive Jesus. And the rich young ruler, listen, before we, before we push him away, remember, he felt it too. What is he doing in front of Jesus? Why did he go to Jesus to start with? He, there was something he felt he needed. Well, you know, I've done all the command. I've done all these things. What, one thing you lack. See, he felt it too, but when it was confronted, he wasn't willing to give it up. Do you see the difference? And, and so, for us, as we think about it, we locate ourselves, right? We, we recognize Jesus and we begin to locate ourselves. And in that, what is discipleship? Is As we are in our groups and as we participate in life together, what is it, friends, that gets in the way of you recognizing and seeing Jesus in your life? What is it? Because, you know, we're going to see in a moment James and John. They didn't get it. I'm pretty sure John wrote John. You know? It's not like he left. And he's, uh, he's not getting it, so go away. No, they, they became incredible men of God. And so there's a journey that we're all on. But So what is it for us that gets in the way of us recognizing Jesus and seeing our own need? Do we just buy it? Right? Do I, you know, for, that's me, guys. You know, I grew up in a children's home, and I hustle. You, if I, there's a need and my wife's unhappy, my first inclination is not faith. It's what do I need to do to fix this mess that I've made usually and, and, and start cleaning up, right? I start hustling. That's my, my natural disposition now to try to fix things. And, and discipleship is you guys and, and us with each other. What gets in the way? What's stealing? What's robbing you from seeing this person of Jesus? What's, ta- you know, what's, what's the thing hindering? What's the sin? And what's that thing that's just getting in the way for you, Right? Do you recognize your need? Like even right now, if you're in front of them, what's your need? What needs to be healed? I know all of us are thinking of things. Do you readily think about how you'll take those to him? Or do you walk away disheartened? Yeah? Something humbled him. He was available. He's open. So discipleship is about seeing Jesus. It's about recognizing and locating even ourselves in light of who he is, right? Further, you know, the, the name Bartimaeus. Do you, do you realize that the blind guy at Bethsaida, he's the blind guy, you know? I mean, everyone, the paralytic, Mark 2, he's the paralytic. Bartimaeus is the only named person in Scripture. And you're like, huh. Bar means son. Timaeus means of the honored one. Right? The blessed one, the, the, the worthy one is what it means. Son of the worthy one. His name is recorded. Why? I think in coming, I, I don't know, it doesn't, no one says exactly why. But there, what, what we believe, what, in everything I read and everything I study believes is that he began to participate as a disciple. And he was known. He was known now. He was a part of this community now. He wasn't an outsider. He was in now because he brought his need in that way. And Jesus met him there. And you know what I love? I think Jesus is the worthy one in that name. Son of Tamias, I'd be like son of Ernest, you know, right? But in, in our case, the worthy one, I think it's Jesus. I think we know Bartimaeus because he's the son of the worthy one. He's the one that Jesus stopped for. 
Remember, everything in Mark is about going to Jerusalem. Now, Scott's been saying it every week. He turns his face immediately, immediately, immediately. Whoa, what was that? Who, who is that? See, he's the worthy one. Jesus stops for him. And now he's a son. And so no matter what it is you're feeling, do you know he stops for you? He hears you? As you locate yourself and find those needs, I don't know about you, like, I haven't told many people, but my adopted mother died this week. It's our, let's see, Lottie, who I call my real mother, you know, she died in February. Avery's friend died in, in March. You know, I mean, my brother, I had a brother die a year ago, and then my mother died, my other mother died this week. It's like, God, are you serious? How much? And then we have things suffering all around our family right now. And it's like, I want to give up hope. I, I just, I don't know if I can do it. But I love, they say, no, 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 Bartimaeus. They stop and they turn to him. No, he's calling for you. Take heart. He's call, You know what that means? It says, be of courage. Have fullness of hope that leads to confidence. It's, sorry for all the Greek, but that's what the word means. It's like, no, he's calling for you, Bartimaeus. Imagine that for a second. You have all this need and you've been sitting there for a long time. And you know what it, you you know what you saw you don't see anymore, right? He's calling for you, guys. He hears us. I hope you'll just slow down for a second and let that whatever it is you came up with a few moments ago. He hears you. I, I don't know how to preach any better into that place that you're feeling right now, but I hope you would let the Spirit minister to you there. He hears you. He hears our call, friends. And so, he runs to him. He's standing in front of him. And I think it's one of the most important questions for everybody in this room. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? I want you to notice, Jesus will not go around his desire. He makes him name it. It doesn't matter how obvious it is. You know, I don't want to ask the stupid question. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. He slows down. What do you want me to do for you? Huge question, friends. When we think about discipleship, guys, when he saves us, we're not a robot. We're not just a follower now that he enlists and, all right, put on the uniform, son. You got to get in line and be like everybody else. That's not Christianity. Christianity means that you're saved and your specific needs are brought to Jesus and he heals our needs. But now there's a relationship that your heart participates in. You don't leave your heart on the sideline and just do the duties that we're supposed to do. No, you get involved here. Now, I've put shalom in your heart. I've taken you through all these different kinds of things. There, it, inside of you is something for the kingdom of God. Everybody in this room, all of us, there is something specific that he is moving in, and, he, and that they're groans that become words over time. What is it that you want me to do for you? And so a disciple, he recognizes Jesus, right? He locates himself, and then we cultivate desire, guys. We cultivate desire. And you know, desire, Christians have been in a war with desire since Genesis 3. Oh, he knows you'll be like him, and he wants you to miss out. 
You see what Satan's doing? He twists desire. And from there, desire gets twisted. Right? And the more we don't have God, I told our teenagers this the other day, the more God is, is, is taken out and distant, the more sexualized and, and strange the culture becomes, is according to Romans 1 and Ephesians. Right? And so w- w- sex is all about desire, friends. It's about feeling things in our body, right? And those things then get distorted and weird and strange. And what he's saying here is, no, what do you want me to do for you? I'm taking you back. Go get your husband. I'm not married. Oh, I know. You've had, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with is not your husband. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's taking her right to the essence of her desire. If you don't know, that's the woman at the well, and that's Jesus' encounter. And if you want about 10 minutes of absolute soul-cleansing tears, go to the chosen and watch that encounter. It's unreal as we put life to that. It's unbelievable. So what do you want me to do for you? Do you know this is the second time you said, all right, how is this passage brilliant? Chapter 10. Let me read it to you. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to him and said to the teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Remember Scott preached on this. What's Jesus' response? You dummies. He doesn't say that. What does he say? And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? To James and John. Okay, guys, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And these boneheads... We want to sit on your right and left. We, you know, they want glory. They can't get it yet. God, their eyes haven't seen yet. Right? And, and so what Mark's showing us is that d- discipleship is about seeing Jesus. It's about seeing yourself. And then it's about cultivating this desire in us. And sometimes we're going to be like James and John. We're going to want things that aren't good for us. And what does Jesus do? He does, he does not condemn them. He trains them. He teaches them. You know how the, the Gentiles lord over, Right? And, and, and even in our passage right before this, he says, unless someone comes like a child, will they see the Lord? Will, or they have a share in the kingdom? Look at Bartimaeus does. He's calling for you. He throws it up and he runs up. What does that look like? It's a child. Do you see this model disciple? Get up with eagerness and go. And, and, and the rich young ruler, he can't let it go. This man throws his way of getting life to the side, runs to Jesus to get to this question. What do you want? me to do for you? I hope you've heard me say that question about 20 times. That's our question, guys. What does that do to your heart? I have found that in, in the places I confront in your stories, it's one of the hardest questions for us to, 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 to answer. What do we want? We often don't know. There's a blindness there. Well, I, don't, I don't know how to get there. I don't know if I'm allowed to go there. But could we, could we cultivate desire in our groups? Invite questions What gets in the way of you seeing them? What gets in the way of you seeing yourself? Because here, he's called us to go and and feel it. To name it, to feel it, and to act on it. That's what we do with desire. We name it, we feel it in our bodies, and we go. And we go in his healing. Um, Five, six years ago, you guys know I started going to Seattle for some healing in my story. And I had a wrestling match all week in this thing called Recovery Week. And it's, for, it's, it's, a, it's a, um, a week-long training for, or, or participation and for 
childhood sexual trauma. And I was wrestling with God all week, and by the end of the week, I started to feel and, and name and see where they were taking me and started to heal in ways I'd never tasted. And in my journal, I opened it, and I wrote, Lord, I've, I've longed for this freedom. This, this is incredible. I want more of this. But I also, I, there are people that don't know this. I want to tell people about this. Guys, in, in June, I stood on the same beach, same beach, in Union, Washington, as one of the leaders of that group, five, six years later. It's been one heck of a ride. It's been a lot of lows, a lot of highs, but man, Jesus has met me along the way, and he's, he's, he's answering that. That's one of the ways I'm answering that question. I, I want to be that wounded healer, Jesus. I want people to taste that freedom that I didn't have for years, that I'm beginning to have. What do you want me to do for you? Friends, I, I, I pray our discipleship is an encounter where we're connected to each other and we're all looking to get in front of Jesus. We're all listening for his call. We're, we're, we're getting, what is getting in the way of this? What's getting in the way of me seeing him? What's getting in the way of me bringing myself right now? And what do we want, guys? What do you want? What do we need? Let's take it to him together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, Thank you that you're you're personal and that you slow down and that you hear us. I know there are people here today. I, I need to hear that, that you hear our call and that you're good. You call us to yourselves and, and you... And you give us yourself. Jesus, thank you for going to that cross, dying and living again so that we could have life in you. And I pray that we would see you, that we would have eyes of faith. And like Bartimaeus, Lord, that you would use our suffering and our blindness as, as a way to cultivate that humility so that we can see you, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see Jesus, to bring our need, and, and to join you in the mission you, you're, you're on that you've called us to join you in. We pray in your name. Amen.